0: right
1: Jason, in seat one, and seat number two is today's guest. What's your name?
0: My name is Erica Bentley.
1: And what do you do?
0: I am a vintage huntress and curator.
1: Huntress and curator, yes. I like that. <laughs> and what's the name of your shop?
0: My shop is Keepers Vintage, uh, located here in Baltimore.
1: Okay, and are you from
0: Baltimore? I am from Baltimore. I was uh, born and raised in Baltimore City and County um, when I got a little older.
1: Uh, Where in uh, the city and the county?
0: Um, So my first house of residence was on North Avenue. Um, I don't remember a whole, whole lot about that, to be honest. But eventually I grew up in the Sedonia and then uh, Perry Hall areas. Sedonia is the city.
1: Oh, and where exactly in the city is that?
0: So that would be East Baltimore, closer towards Baltimore County. Um, Neighboring communities would be um, what, Sinclair Lane. um, Okay garden village if you've ever heard of that
1: um I know Sinclair Lane like uh,
0: Belair Road
1: yeah yeah. I was gonna say how close is it to uh Clifton Park
0: pretty close over yes yeah a little further east but uh, okay yeah.
1: gotcha like um what like off of Urban Avenue
0: further up than Urban Avenue even like it's literally on the city county line so oh, okay. if you go over by a block you would be in Rosedale
1: so what was uh growing up in that area like for you
0: So um, we moved to that area when I was maybe nine years old. I was in third grade. I do know that because I went to a predominantly, um, well, a Lutheran private school that was right across the street. And I entered there at third grade. So um, I don't know. It was mostly like older. It it was a much more calm neighborhood (laughs) than I know it to be now it's definitely um, changed a whole lot growing up there it was quiet it was a backyard with a big tree it was um, you know just kind of um, a real for me it was kind of a paradox because um, my mother was like the one of the few sisters that had become a teacher, moved to, it was the city, but I guess it was like the county for us at the time. Um, and my cousins, you know, lived in the heart of the city. So I had a very different upbringing comparatively.
1: So you mentioned the church that, I'm sorry, the school that you went to was mm-hmm. predominantly Lutheran. Were you was your family Lutheran or they just wanted you to go to a Christian school?
0: No, my mother was a Baltimore City public school teacher um, and she uh, just found it necessary to put me in private schools for the the early part of my upbringing.
1: So then, as you got older, you just went to the public schools.
0: Well, I actually had to beg to go to public school. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, and you know, it was all the superficial kid things. I was, um, and I'm very fashion right, like that's always been my life. So I hated wearing a uniform, <laughs> and um, so you know, she had to be convinced, and eventually she allowed me to go to a school that was actually not my zone school. Um, My zone school at the time was um, Northern High School, and um, this dates me a little bit, but it was the time when, like, kids were actually, like, doing these protests at school, and they were walking out, and everything was deemed to be, like, very dangerous, so um, we actually... Um, wound up using a cousin's address. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that now. Please don't come get my mom. But we went to... <laughs> I think um, you're good. I'm, I'm good now. Okay. <laughs> we went, I went, wound up going to overly high school.
1: Uh, I see. Okay. Do you have any siblings?
0: I um, I didn't grow up with any siblings. Um, later in life, my dad uh, remarried, and I have a 13-year-old sister now.
1: What is that like to have a sibling with... um? such a such a large age difference
0: we both grew up as only children oh, okay yeah I mean I was 25 when she was born so um you know she has really we've both grown up and we grew up with a different set of parents so um you know, I still, if people ask me, like I definitely had the only child experience, but I'm glad that I have somebody to share my knowledge with now.
1: Right? <laughs> you, you tell them uh, all, all, all the stuff about life that uh, older sibling never told you, huh?
0: Sure. And she still doesn't listen, I'm sure.
1: When you were growing up, uh, was vintage clothing and your love for vintage fashion was was that even a thing?
0: Vintage was definitely not a thing. Um for me, um it started as thrifting. Um well, what we call thrifting now. Back then it wasn't even like a cute term with a ing at the end, right? You was just <laughs> go into the thrift store buying old clothes and the question was why, <laughs> you know? But um for me, I I've always had this um this love of fashion i i can't say that i know exactly where it came from maybe from tv um like i said i went to this lutheran school it was predominantly white i grew up watching um the tv show blossom what's that i know you wasn't gonna know what blossom was. <laughs> i meant to bring you a picture i forgot i will pull it up later but blossom was um mayam Belek. i'm not i'm sure i'm not saying her name correctly but um it was just a 90s sitcom show with this girl that um, always wore these flowered dresses and these flowered hats. And I was probably about eight or nine at the time. And I just thought that she dressed so cool, right? She had this friend named Six. Six kind of, um, are you familiar with Daria? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Six kind of was the precursor to Daria, in my opinion. She was, okay. you know, was a real person, wasn't a cartoon, but she used to wear like short little mini skirts with, um... With uh, combat boots, um, mm. you know, it was just a family sitcom around the time that like the Cosby Show and all that type of stuff was
1: blossom, on.
0: blossom. Yeah, w-
1: was yeah. it like w- what network was it on?
0: Uh, I don't remember. Um, ABC, you know, it was a it was a major okay. show though, um, and so. I Idolized these fashions, and I remember for Easter because I don't know why Easter was the only time that were really dressing up, right? but at Easter, I fell in love with this navy blue um floral dress. It really looked like somebody's grandma's couch for sure, and it had a big floppy hat that went with it, and I just I died to get this thing. I just remember my mother asking me a million times, Eric, are you sure you want this? <laughs> and I, I wanted it and so I wore it, went to church, and then after church was um dinner at my aunt's house, um, in, um, oh, in, um, Park Heights. And so I go to dinner with my cousins and they all have one, like the flyest, you know, whatever. And they are like, girl, we didn't cuss because we was little kids, but what the F are you wearing? What is that? (laughs) Like they, they grilled me. (laughs) And so that was probably the first time I knew that like what I liked was different, Mm -hmm. but I've always just kind of been, you know, the only child syndrome, the kind of, I marched to my own drum. So (laughs) that didn't stop me. There were many years after that. Um, and so I don't know, my mother always liked thrift stores. Um, she, I think more so would go for, you know, things for around the house and things like that. But while she was shopping for those things, I would um, take my Seventeen magazine and I would recreate looks that I saw in those magazines, which were definitely not what like my family members were using as their (laughs) their fashion guides at the time. Right. Even like the people I went to school with, you know, it was just Mm -hmm. like, hmm, this is different.
1: (laughs) It sounds like from an early age, yes, you always kind of went the other way or you did what um like you said just what you wanted to do and other people's opinions be damned uh, so that continued I'm assuming all the way through high school and then after high school uh did you go to college or did you just go straight to work
0: Yeah. So I went to University of Maryland Eastern Shore. And I would definitely say that um, late high school college is where things kind of changed for me. Um, I got into this. A teacher recommended me actually for a um, program that Nordstrom had at the time. And it was for like young girls who wanted a fashion career. And, you know, basically we would go to Nordstrom once a month and we would give them input on what we thought about the looks that were on their juniors floor and in return they would serve us pizza and (laughs) they would have one person that was from the fashion industry um, come and talk to us about whatever their job was. It was a really like cool little Mm. gig for a kid, you know. I wound up working for Nordstrom. Um, I actually, you know, worked, like got hired there later on. I never turned my nose up to thrifting, but I just kind of fell away from that because now I was in the mainstream. You're in the
1: big leagues now. I was in the
0: big leagues (laughs) now. Right. And so then I just started obsessing over designers and, you know, um, a lot of things that people my age were into, um, at UMES, I actually, um, studied fashion merchandising and they also had a program where you could, um, do a dual degree. You could, uh, go there for three years, and then you could um, spend your junior year in New York at Fashion Institute of Technology. So I did that and graduated with a bachelor's of science from UMES and and associates from uh, Fashion Institute in advertising and marketing.
1: Mm. And what was that entire experience like for you during that time? Were there when you were at Fashion Institute, were there a lot of people of color there or were you like the only one? And then what was the, I guess, cultural climate of urban or black fashion?
0: So uh, taking it back a little bit, um, UMES was my first real like, you know, I went there and it was like, oh, there's a sea of black people and they're not all the same type of person, you know, Um, because up until then, I really didn't know so much about that. You know, I had gone to predominantly white schools. And then um, although overly was mixed, it was just kind of like, you know, again, I was like the different, the the one, the, there were a few of us, but the few lone black people that, you know, I was, I was a nerdy girl, you know, <laughs> um, I was in student government. So I was, I was that black girl, right? But at UMES, there was just all this, you know, beautiful sea of color. FIT was not as diverse in that way, but it had all different types of nationalities and, you know, um, just all different types of people. I mean, it's New York and you lived right in the heart of New York City. So, Where's FIT? On 27th and 7th so is is that in manhattan In manhattan oh okay So 27th street as far as the diversity in my classroom not so much but the diversity of new york city was you know like you just saw everything was amazing because fashion wise it was cool to march to your own drum
1: oh yeah of course like whoever has the most uh i I won't even say out there but just the most original style yeah i think people would they, they they see that as as like a as a as an attribute, not a um, not a drawback. Exactly. OK. Exactly. So once you finished school, did you is that when you opened up your vintage shop or talk to me about the time from finishing school to opening up the shop?
0: OK, so that was definitely a journey. <laughs> um, I went to FIT uh, actually. So the one year that I elected to go to FIT was actually nine eleven. So I lived in New York, um, you know, when I had gone to school in what, maybe August, and then by September, there were buildings falling down, right? So um, that was definitely life-changing, a little scary, to say the least, Um, and, you know, nothing that made me afraid of New York, but I just think at that time, um, I think I had a little more anxiety about... um, you know i wanted to be a buyer that was what i was in school for i wanted to be the person that goes to you know the showrooms picks out the clothes puts them mm-hmm. in the store i never had any
1: i don't want to interrupt you the light is just coming through can i please take a picture of you
0: oh okay 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 all
1: right so uh you're talking 9 11 continue yeah.
0: okay so all right <laughs> all right <laughs> i don't know if i should should i post should
1: no 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 that's okay. good hold on uh is that good? You want to do another? Oh, one?
0: that's a good picture. Okay. cool. Okay. cool,
1: cool. All right. So continue. Uh, right. 9/11 so Nine Eleven School Anxiety.
0: Nine Eleven School Anxiety. I had worked at Essence for my internship, so that was amazing. But um, I think so. Lack of diversity. Being in school with you know all these girls that already had all these connections. Um, you know, all the Jewish girls talked about was how my aunt works in the buying office of sex, and I'm guaranteed a job. And I just knew that um, I wanted to be a buyer. I I thought I would be excellent at it, but I was very nervous to try to have this life in New York City that um, I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anybody, you know, and so um, I said, okay, I've been working at Nordstrom all this time. I'm going to fall back on that. I would go back and forth in the summers or whatever. So I went back to retail. I want it to be a buyer. Nordstrom, they uh, promote you. They promote from within.
1: And so. uh, sorry to interrupt, but a, a buyer is somebody who buys clothes for a department exactly. store. Would they buy it directly from? A, f- a fashion house or a designer label how does so it work
0: it just it all depends on the the type of store that it is mm-hmm. you know um and so for Nordstrom it is not that glamorous um the buyers there or at least at the time that I was there they and I mean and it probably depends because um some Nordstrom's have very high-end departments so they may go to like the fashion shows and actually pick from the runways but for what I wanted to do and um wanted to do for Nordstrom they would just go to the showrooms. So a brand that you love that Nordstrom has, they have a showroom, you go to that showroom, you make contacts with the people that, um, put out the new lines you look at everything that they have to offer you know your Nordstrom customer and you pick the things that you know that that customer would love for the upcoming season but then also after the season is set then you also kind of have this job of like coaching the managers and the people making sure they understand the new products and um, can sell them effectively so you don't lose your job for buying stuff that people didn't buy I wanted to do that but Um, I just kept getting promoted to bigger and bigger departments there. While it was nice that they thought so well of me, that was um, being in management itself was very stressful for me at the time. Um, wound up not making it, left, went to Filings Basement, which is a off-price retailer. Off-price meaning more closer, like aligned to like a Nordstrom Rack. So they okay. sold high-end merchandise, but they sold it at a cheap price because they were able to buy it in bulk after, honestly, it didn't work in other mainstream stores most of the time. Mm-hmm. So um, did that. They filed for Chapter 11 during the time that I was there. So I helped to open the stores when they came to the Baltimore area, and I was also there when they shut down. Um, it was sad. It was really sad watching people that I knew get laid off left and right, and it just felt very not secure. So I said, you know, maybe fashion is not for me. Both of my parents had been um, city Baltimore City school teachers. Um, my dad for about 30 years, my mom at this point about 40 years. And so I always loved children. I never thought I wanted to be a teacher because I just felt like they were overworked and undervalued. And so I said, you know, okay, well, maybe I need to not think about those things and just do something that's safer. Honestly, that was my intention going into it. I became a teacher, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I loved the children. They, you know, were such a um, breath of fresh air after working in retail for so long. It was a really hard job. Mm. It was a really hard job. But um, I'm a hard worker. That couldn't, like, deter me. (laughs) But the red tape in the city was something that I just couldn't, I couldn't do. I couldn't do it on a daily basis. And I felt myself kind of like being in these situations where I was sad. You know, when summer ended, I was, some teachers were excited to go back, not all of them, but some teachers were (laughs) excited. And I I found myself every year becoming more and more lackluster about going back. And um, maybe about three years in, I said, okay, well, maybe, you know, you've devoted yourself to this teaching. Um, Maybe now would be a good time to start just for creative pursuits, getting back into the things that you love to do. Because I really took a hiatus from everything to be a teacher. And so I had this closet full of goodies from Nordstrom and Filene's basement. And so that wasn't wearing anymore. I started yard selling and doing um, flea markets. At the time, there wasn't all this myriad of options for selling clothes. There was no Poshmark. There was no Etsy. There was no um, any of that. And um, I had a few vintage pieces then. But it was just like my personal collection. I always tell people my favorite thing at Nordstrom. Um, they used to say dress your department. Yeah, you they wanted you to look like the department. And I was about twenty-five. Uh, managing high-end or designer departments. And so my favorite thing when the rich ladies would come in, I would, I would go and I would get vintage clothes. I went back to vintage after becoming a manager because I realized it was like a more cost-effective way to look like my department. I would go back to that same thing that I used to do um, as a kid just recreating the looks with old clothes and so all the rich ladies would come in and they'd be like oh Erica I love your top you look so great and I'd be like oh girl you can't get this <laughs> you know because it's vintage because you can't afford it but um, you know so that was my my thing and so I started selling my old clothes and um, kind of just fell in love with clothes again you know um, I was doing it on my own terms I wasn't um, having to be this middle management person that had stressed me out so badly and so I I mostly did it for fun. And then I hooked up with these girls. We um, were called the Funky Fresh Crew. And we would sell, well, they they had started this yard sale thing. And I was like, y'all, I've been selling my old clothes at flea markets and stuff. We got to kind of take this on the road. I'm always like the idea person. And, you know, it took me a while to kind of convince them. They were like, girl, what are you talking about? But we wound up doing it and we wound up selling the clothes at the farmer's market, like the Um, farmer's market underneath the bridge downtown here in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And um, it went so well that they were just kind of like, okay, when we doing this again? And for two years straight, we were on a roll with this business, right? And again, this was, um, you know, I, I won't, Claim to be the first the first vintage seller by far, but this was just before it kind of hit this like huge thing that we see now. I feel like every a lot of people sell vintage now, but um, and we weren't selling vintage at first. We were just selling old clothes. And then because of my love for vintage at some point, I was like, we should really consider adding vintage to the mix. And that, so that's really how I got started And then after two years, being a full-time teacher, one of us was a full-time nurse, one of us was, um, you know, everybody had a a day job, Mm -hmm. and everybody got tired. Mm. And so, um, you know, we disbanded the group. Mm -hmm. And um, in the divorce, I got the clothes (laughs) and the racks, and that was where Keepers started um, because I continued to sell the clothes afterwards, changed the name, and did a facelift.
1: Wow, that is definitely quite the journey. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been doing Keepers now? I think in an interview, you said it was about six years? Six years. Six uh, years. Okay, yeah, that was the, uh, the Be More Art of an interview. So um, in that same interview you say that you source a lot of your stuff from like estate sales, um, what people will bring into you. And then sometimes you'll even travel to Mm -hmm. go places. Do vintage clothiers and and sellers kind of protect their sources the way a chef might protect a signature dish or a hip hop producer might protect their samples?
0: That sounds good. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, I think I can only speak for myself, right? Because the truth is, I don't know. I think it's kind of a, um, a courtesy in just like the vintage industry that you just, if you're a seller, you're not really out here asking people where they get their clothes from. And I don't I don't know why that is, you know. Um, I do know for myself, when people ask me, because it is probably my number one asked question, <laughs> where do you get your things?
1: If I told you, then you'd stop giving me money.
0: Yeah, well, so, right. <laughs> um, you know, like, I, I it, the, the real answer is that I never know where I'm gonna get my things and so that is like part of this whole process I remember selling in this um, format there were lots of other vintage sellers in this one space that was part of how I started the business a place called Avenue Antiques that used to exist on the Avenue and um, I don't know, there used to be, like, this, like, hysteria about, like, not being able to find vintage anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, like, people were nervous about sources drying up. But I don't really... So, vintage, the technical definition is that it's anything 20 year Clothing is 20, or, I mean, objects, too, that are 20 years and older. Mm-hmm. If it reaches 100 years, then it's an antique. Oh, okay. So, as long as society keeps progressing, there will continue to be vintage items because each year there's a new set of right. things that are considered vintage. Um so I mean and you know, some crazy places I've I've um we went to we drove to Canada as a family last year, just for vacation, right? But on the road, on the side of the road there were like tons of little like antique shops. There were people that were just having yard sales for sure. And I think one thing about a vintage seller, you will go anywhere and stop anywhere (laughs) to look for for items, you know. And so, um, you know, my my life partner, um, Tons, he he knows now, like he's just as into it as I am. He's like, oh. You wanna stop there? Our kids hate it. We have a um, a 15 year old, a 10 year old, and a three year old. Um, She doesn't know any better. That's all she's ever known. But they're just like, oh my God, we're stopping someplace else, you know? And so, you know, that's just what our life is. Um, There's no one specific place. You know, I wish I could tell you some magic uh, (laughs) source. And I think it just depends on who you are. I, I feel like there are people that, you know, have connections. I once knew a woman. She sold me the units of her, um, her storage, her the contents of her storage unit. She was an older person, um, who had sold vintage previously. She had had a vintage shop in maybe like the seventies, mm-hmm. the eighties, maybe. Um, she was friends with, I wish my story was this interesting, but she was friends with a nurse. Um, and it was a, a nurse that would go in and, um, I don't know what you call them, but the people that come, a caretaker rather mm-hmm. of a lot of like rich clients. Mm-hmm well, those clients don't last forever. When they would pass away, she would call her friend, they would clean out the house, and that was where she got the majority of her clothes from, right? Oh, okay. So um, it just depends on what your your network is, I think. I don't think it's um, being protected so much as it. everybody just has a different source.
1: There's, there's no one way or there's no like, oh, here's this secret formula to... F- sourcing vintage clothes it's like you get it how you can and then you develop enough of a style and like a like a game plan that it it it, uh, sustains itself
0: exactly I mean what I've learned um is that there's not a shortage of clothes (laughs) there's not a shortage of clothes you know so if you're willing to put the work in to look for them you'll you'll find things and then like you said it does become a process more so of editing you know what things stand for my brand how am I curating things um And that determines what I'll buy and what I won't buy.
1: When you are buying stuff, Mm -hmm. what's the difference between a good vintage piece and the right vintage piece?
0: So a good vintage piece, I guess, um, well, some pieces... Are just vintage. And at one time, I would just buy anything that was vintage. I'm like, it's old. I'm just going to buy it, right? If it's in good... Because good, good condition. Because um, that's another thing that I think people out here don't really understand as much. You know, like coming across things that are 20-year-old things, okay. But when we're talking about like a 1950s dress, you know, just... um things disintegrate, you know, if things aren't kept in things like cedar boxes and and this would have to have been done by like the owners, um, Mm -hmm. somebody would have had to have the foresight that we're going to hold onto this and transition it into a new time and space, which most people, you know, do you do that with your clothes? You know? yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, finding things in good wearable condition is a challenge all on its own. Um, so, For me, I look for things that I always say that my clothes are for the creative with a day job. Um, I try to dress people, not just women, because I I highlight women's clothes a lot, but I do do men's and women's clothing. Um, You know, my clothes, I look for things that are on fashion. I'm I'm still that kid with the Seventeen magazine um, (laughs) trying to recreate these looks. I want people to just have a sustainable method of a fashion moment. And, you know, so a great vintage piece for me is something that is um, a lot of times a classic. I love a good blazer. (laughs) I love things that have a quality material. And, of course, that um, have actually made it to this time by being wearable, not being filled with moth holes or Mm -hmm. falling apart. You know, and and if I can put it back together, I will.
1: I want to step into the business side of Keepers Vintage. You had one store, um, your first storefront was in Mount Vernon, right? Yes. And that you shared that with uh, Letta from Mm -hmm. KSM. Um, Do you still share the storefront now?
0: So I do still share share the storefront.
1: Okay. Um, And then most recently, or I guess recently being a relative term, you opened up another shop in Hamden, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's recent. It's less than a year.
1: Oh, okay. Well, Mm -hmm. congratulations. Thank you. Um, Was it a big risk to open that store? And do you feel like it paid off?
0: Huge risk, huge risk. <laughs> Listen to my heart. Can you hear my heart palpitating on the, um, on the mic? <laughs> so um, let's start with, I, um, so I, I told you what teaching was like for me. Um, it had gotten to the point where, you know, and it's not a sad story, but it, it Being in the building sometimes just made me incredibly sad because I just couldn't change the things that I couldn't change. Mm -hmm. And so um, as I fell back in love with selling these clothes, I came across this space. I know this is not the question you asked me, but I always got a backstory. That's okay. Um, (laughs) I came across uh, a space called Avenue Antiques that was in Hamden. Um, It was uh, basically, I guess, for I don't know if they branded it that way, but I think how most people would be familiar is an antique mall. So it had three floors, three stories. Um, The top two floors were antiques. And if you went in the basement, it was this huge just space filled with vintage clothes. And what it actually was, was where people had rented little 10 by 10 spaces and they paid a rent. And you could um, basically set your things up there. You paid your rent and they would take a, I mean, they would, um, tally up everything that you sold for a couple weeks time and then they would pay you out. And so when my group broke up, um, I wound up putting the clothes there so that I could, um, teach full time and sell clothes. And it started this trajectory for me. Um, I, first of all, I found out I loved selling vintage clothes. I found out I was pretty good at selling vintage clothes. I was able to make some money doing it. And, um, it was all good. Had no plans to do anything differently until I was there for a full year and they closed down. Um, the woman sold the building mm-hmm. and she, I think, took her operation somewhere in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I had all these this inventory. At that point, there was a woman who had a shop also in Hamden. Um, I was also still vending at the farmers markets. So she opened up her doors and allowed me to come in and kind of take over the back half of her space in Hamden. I don't know what this thing is with me for a year but did that for a year and then she decided to close her shop too and so it was proposed that maybe I take over her space in Hamden but it was my second year selling vintage for you know for real. I um, was still teaching and so it just wasn't a good time for me to take over that space so I went to Mount Vernon in hopes of finding a space that I could have there. When I got to Mount Vernon, there was a store that existed already that had two separate entrances. It wasn't the store that Leather and I shared. It was a different store, but it was a there was a very little small annex triangle side that I mean couldn't have been more than like 400 square feet. It was tiny. And so I took over that space or I sublet that space from the people who had that store. So when I finally got a shop, which was my shop in Mount Vernon that um, Letta and I moved into, Letta had been selling her candles in my teeny tiny space and we had become friends. And so it just kind of made sense to share the space because I've always shared space. And um, being somebody that I don't feel is necessarily like, Super privileged economically, or you know, there was no real business plan. Don't I want to say that out loud? Yes, y'all make y'all business plans. Um, (laughs) Get it straight. But you know, this was something that I fell into, and it rescued me from having to, you know, work a job that I felt like was um, not using my talents to their fullest potential. So um, when I got the opportunity to do it full-time, I jumped at it. But sharing space has been a very instrumental part of being able to do the things that I've done. I also... have a third level in my store. Well, there's a, a basement and a regular level, and then the top floor is also shared by another vintage seller in Hamden.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so all in all, it was a big risk, but you think it paid off?
0: It's paying off. I think that nothing is instant. I think that, you know, um, the hard work and the things that you have to put into things that will stress you the heck out. I'm trying not to curse on your um, good podcast. It's, it's it's okay. okay. I've,
1: I've, uh, people have said much worse things. Okay.
0: <laughs> you know um i was a pre-k teacher so Crescent for oh, me yeah. like sound a little different um <laughs> but yeah so um yeah you know like it's um If nothing else, like the journey and the things that I have learned about myself as an entrepreneur, the things that I feel like, the ways that I feel like I have helped other women business owners, like owners, um, the idea that for the first year of the store that Letta and I originally shared that I got to see my daughter's first year of life, that I know it wouldn't have been the same way had I been in a nine to five job. Like there's different ways, I think, to put value on something. So, you know, I am still definitely figuring it out. Mm. But um, it's definitely been worth it.
1: Good. That's great. Yeah. And do the different storefronts serve different needs or does the Mount Vernon store have a certain type of vintage and the Hamden store has a different type of vintage?
0: Definitely. Definitely. Okay, definitely. They're 15 minutes up the street from each other. Right. So um, I'm not trying to play myself. Y'all got to come to both shops to see <laughs> all of it. Um, no, basically um, what I found, you know, um, I've, I've again, I've learned so much. I can't claim to have known about branding, about location, about marketing, um, you know, not in the ways that I have since I've opened Keepers. And so you know, I opened in that space because in that neighborhood, because, um, you know, I can be all, you know, I can be very trippity trippy sometimes. And I do feel like Mount Vernon was calling for a resurgence, you know, so that's on one end. But the other end is where I landed um, was between two colleges. Right. Um, in Mount Vernon. So we're right near Micah. We're right near um, Baltimore Community College and um, the foot traffic told me what I needed to do, right? You have to be flexible as a business owner. And so, um, I was in there, um, being Diana Ross's daughter, as I believe that I am. (laughs) And, um, you know, I had all my sequins and my gowns and all that good stuff. And, um, it's college kids, right? And so um, jeans and sweatshirts reign supreme, but I still wanted a place to be able to do a little bit more um, vintage, vintage. And so Hamden gave me that opportunity because that's um, the Baltimore area for vintage.
1: We're going to start wrapping up here. Uh, two questions that I always ask people. What is coming up next for you?
0: Um, so next I just see continuing to... Um, opening a store as I did, like I said, I've, I've learned a lot. Um, and so I've really found a passion for just um, helping other people to do some of the things that I have done. And so, um, you know, continuing to, um, lay the format for other businesses and for other women, especially women of color who are, um, trying to promote their businesses as well. Just recently, I have started, um, so Letta left a legacy in our Mount Vernon store of the bar. And the bar was where she did her um, now infamous candle making sessions. And, um, you know, now that we have that space, um, I have been encouraging lots of other women to come and to teach aspects of their business, um, you know, as a as a, a way of creating community, as a way of um, putting highlighting their businesses. Um, You know, we did the pop-up thing. Um, We used to do a pop-up every Sunday. And, you know, it just seemed so redundant to ask people to come out and just buy more stuff, right? Um, And so we're creating experiences at the bar and connecting people at the bar. So that's definitely the thing that I'm working on right now.
1: So it sounds like you're kind of opening up your own, like, startup accelerator, kind of.
0: (laughs) Maybe, kind of. You know, I think maybe just harnessing what the space naturally Was, um, you know, when again, when we first started, we had 20 local um, businesses by um, people of color in that space. We had to kind of fall back on it a little bit. Instead, um, I am sharing the Mount Vernon space with um, Joanne, who is Mod & Co., Um, And so she has come into the front portion of the space that um, once just housed the candles and the other small makers. And she has um, curated a very beautiful gift shop in that area. And so, you know, again, it is an incubator for her. You know, I love the teacher in me, love seeing people start their businesses and grow them and then expand on to the next thing. I think it's really cool.
1: That's awesome. Last question. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you and Keepers?
0: So I would say the best place in this day and age is my social media. Um, I live on Instagram. Um, I am at Keepers Vintage, one word, uh, K-E-E-P-E-R-S-V-I-N-T-A-G-E. The same is on Facebook. And um, my website is being revamped right now, but it's the same thing, keepersvintage.com.
1: Gotcha. All right. Um, anything you want to talk about that we haven't already gone over?
0: No. Just thank you for um, having this format, and I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Erica from Keepers Vintage. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. That was uh, that was
0: fantastic.